Oh, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm sure none of you have ever hoped for something and got the complete opposite. I know for me, I had to learn very quickly that on Amazon, I can't just look through the pictures. I actually have to look at the descriptions and the dimensions and get on my ruler because I've been fooled a couple times, just like that video, where I pulled it out of the box and it was definitely not what I ordered. It looked different. Somehow they fooled me with these pictures. Maybe some of you have been in a place like that in your life where you hoped for something or you were hoping and you got something very different than what you expected. Maybe some of you showed up uh, for a blind date or to meet someone new and that was definitely not the profile that was on their account. Uh, but we're so excited because we are in the third week of our series, Hope for Hope. Uh, if you've missed the last two weeks, you can go on the Infused um, Church app or online and catch up the last two messages. Um, all about being hope and bringing hope to those around you and finding hope in the midst of storms that arise in our lives. Uh, well, my name is Pastor Stephanie. Uh, my husband is Pastor Taylor, and he is preaching and sharing a message with another uh, community this morning. So I got the opportunity. Here, let me see if I can fix this. You guys were hoping for better audio this morning, I think. Uh, let's see if that's better. Uh, so he's sharing uh, a message of hope with another uh, community this morning. So I get the pleasure of being with you guys. Oh, sorry. Um, being with you this and bringing a message. This is going to be a long morning. Sound booth, can I do anything to fix it? Okay, hope better. Maybe it's my hair on the, the mic. Um, but we are going my hands. Maybe if I like us my hands. Um, I can do the handheld mic too. That's fine if that works better. Um, we're going to be sharing um, time together this morning talking about how we can be a community of hope. That if each one of us take ownership and being hope for others around us, that we can have a huge impact if collectively together we bring hope. All right, perfect. I'll turn off the other mic. All right, is that better? Perfect. All right. We got it down. All right, so um, Pastor Taylor and myself don't often get to go visit other churches, um, and so he took some time off, and we got the opportunity to go visit some other um, churches and community of believers, and it was really just a, a rich time of learning and growing and stepping back at um, what we're doing here and also just stepping back at collectively looking at the community of believers and Jesus followers and how we can bring hope or looking at even better ways of how we can bring hope to the community around us. And I'm going to be really honest that in some of those experiences, I did leaving feeling like there was a lack of hope, that there was something that was missing, that I showed up hoping for something. I had an expectation for how I thought this time at another community was going to go. And it, it kind of missed the mark sometimes. And I had to sit there and wrestle with, was it something that I was internally bringing in? Was it my own preconceived you know, expectations? Or was it like a consumeristic mentality of, I just wanted to show up and I wanted a really rocking message or I wanted hot coffee and I couldn't move um, outside of the little coffee area. I couldn't bring the coffee into service. And I had to wrestle with some of those things when it came to looking at how as a church, how as a body of believers, we can bring hope 
to a hurt and broken world. And even my daughter, when she went with us to these different churches, she also had her own expectations. I'll tell you a funny story. One of the churches we visited um, was a very traditional church, and they didn't have um, kids' ministry, so she get to, got to sit with us through the entire service. And once the service got going, she turned to me and said, Mom, is he going to be able to jump through those candles with that robe on? When is he going to jump through the candles? And I had to be the one to break it to her that I was like, sorry, he's not going to jump through the candles. Uh, but she was soaking and taking in the whole experience. And I was like, I mean, I've done a bad job at explaining and prepping her for this church experience. Um, but in reflection, we were able, my husband and I, to calm down to a few things in ways that we can continue to get better. And we can push ourselves and invest in the community and invest in ourselves and push ourselves and growing ourselves to be better about being known for what we're for and not being known for what we're against or all the things that we're not for and how we can better be a community of hope individually and collectively together. And in that experience and as we reflect on areas and ways that we can grow, we kind of landed on this idea that sometimes we often get stuck holding on to things that hold us back. We sometimes hold on to things that, well, this is the way we've always done it, so we got to keep doing it this way. Or, well, this is the way that I've seen them do it, so it's working for them, so we're going to hold on to that. Or, you know what, it's just easier not to make changes. We know this. We know this environment. We know this process of how we, we do church or how we go through the motions of being a Jesus follower. And then we end up holding on to things that hold us back and takes a lot of hard work and deeper work to step back and say, what am I holding on to? That's maybe not just hurting my own personal growth, but it's hurting other people. Am I reflecting something different than what I was hoping to reflect in those around me? Was I not being hope for others? When they look at the church and look at the community of believers, do they see judgment? Do they see things that don't reflect hope and love, but they see other things? Because we're holding on to things that matter, what we think is really, really important, like our set structure of how we do church or our structure of worship or our kids' structure. And we hold on to things that are really holding us back. And so as we were reflecting on this time, we, we asked ourselves, what is church? And maybe some of you have wrestled with this. Maybe some of you have stepped away for seasons of your life where you decided, you know what? Church isn't for me. I don't see hope in going to church. I don't experience life. I don't experience hope when I come to church. And so maybe for some of you, you said, you know what? I need to step away. Or maybe for some of you, that's why you were never a part of a church. And that's why you've been hesitant to come back for the first time. So when we stepped back and looked at what is church and what the Bible teaches us about what is church, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but we have to get back to the heart, and Devin and Simone shared it so greatly, is we see it as the community of people, a community of people who follow the teaching of a man that was sent by God, and it is our job to explain God and create a path to him. Not to put up barriers or restrictions or thresholds that you have to meet in order to experience God. 
We're supposed to be a community of people, not isolated, not living life alone, but coming together in unity and in love and being that beacon of hope for those around us who are watching from the outside. Taylor and I often get the opportunity to meet with people, um, some of them who will never come through these doors just because of the hurt that they experienced by this community of people. They aren't ready to make that step to come back. They had people judge them or put them in a box and label them, or they had expectations of them that they just knew that they were never able to meet. And when we've met with them, it's not the community of people or the teaching of a man or us wanting to journey with them and growing their relationship with God. It's not that that keeps them from coming back to church. It's that there's been something in that experience that they resisted. There was pieces of the environment that were resistible. There was conversations said to them, words, hurtful words. It never hardly is about the teaching of, the, of Jesus. It's about all these other factors of the hurt and the pain coming from the community of people or the experience that the community of people created for them. And they said, you know what? I'm never going to be able to meet those expectations. I've never been met by that community of people with love or grace. It's been an attitude of I'm never going to measure up. And to be able to measure up, I'm going to have to do this and do this and do this and do this. And I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can be that person that this community of people want me to be. And they feel leaving week after week like they're never enough. And that's what breaks my heart and that's what breaks Taylor's heart is that people feel like they can't be a part of that community. Not because they disagree with scripture or the teaching of Jesus, but by the people that call themselves Jesus followers. So we have to ask ourselves, how can we grow? How can we get better? How can we get back to the heart of being hope? like Jesus calls us to be. And I think that's something we have to wrestle even in our personal lives as we go throughout, not just on Sunday morning for the hour we're together, but how do we be that beacon of hope through our work, through our relationships, through our marriages, through our kids' lives? How can we be that beacon of hope for them? that doesn't create an environment that pushes them away, where they feel like they'll never be enough or reach a certain level of being accepted. If I attend church so much, if I pray so much, if I memorize scripture so much, but a community that embraces them, no matter where they're at in their journey, if they're still exploring, still asking questions, or if they've been a Christian or a Jesus follower for a long time. If you look at the teaching of Jesus when he was on earth, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more this morning, um, and as we dived into this when Taylor and I were processing all of this, like how can we get back to the core of what Jesus saw the church and what he wanted the church to be? If you look at the primary application of what that community of people should be, it comes down to one verb. And I know this one verb kind of gets um, twisted sometimes, but when Jesus spent time on earth, 
he shared the message of love. And this application played out in many different ways. It was love God, love one another. And I think the hardest one for a lot of us is love your enemy. So how do we be better as a community of people to get back to these core values of what Jesus taught us? How can we love God better? How can we love others better? And more importantly, how can we love our enemies or those who have hurt us? See, our churches should be irresistible. They should be places where people want to come and gather and find this love. Find the acceptance that they're longing for. Finding people that they can have real conversations with and be honest about the things they're struggling with, the journey that they're on. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be better and I want to be better at life. And I wanna be surrounded by people that believe that and want that for me just as much as they want that for their life. That they want to love others so much that they wanna spur others on. They wanna be others' biggest champions. I don't wanna be a part of something where I never feel like I'm enough or I'm never going to accomplish enough and I have to earn this love by completing these things they set out in front of me. See, when Jesus came and spent time on earth, there was a time where he was speaking in the region of Caesar Philippi. And he was surrounded by his disciples and he was asking them, who do you say I am? Who is the son of man? And in that conversation, right before he predicts his death to his disciples, he says this in Matthew 16, 18. And it says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. On this foundation, I want to build my church. And this word church has gotten translated differently over time. The Greek word of church is ecclesia. And ecclesia means that you are called out, an assembly, a congregation, a gathering of believers. A gathering, not into a building, but a gathering of believers sending out into the world. And over time, this word got translated into the word church. And in the history of the church, that got equated to a building or a temple or a very sacred space. And I think sometimes it got lost of what really is at the heart of what Jesus said, when I want to build my church, I wanna build out you who are called out those that you say, I am the son of God. I wanna call you out, not to just gather for an hour on Sunday, but I wanna call you out into the world to be hope, to bring hope. When Jesus came right before he predicted his death, he also talked and shared about the new covenant. And he was gathering around again when he was teaching and he said this in Luke chapter 22. He said, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And we often wonder, and the disciples were probably wondering in that situation, what is this new covenant? We've talked about the old covenant, which is in the Old Testament, but what is this new covenant that you're talking about? What do you mean your blood? We're sitting here having this meal together. 
And Jesus has predicted his death, but I don't think it really computed to them. See, Jesus wanted to fulfill the old covenant. He didn't want to keep all 630 some laws and 10 commandments. He wanted to bring a new covenant and make the ultimate sacrifice of his life. The sacrifice of sin would be about to be made shortly after these moments. And he wanted to fulfill that old covenant and bring new life and start something new and send out his disciples to bring a new message of hope. That they didn't have to go to a sacred place or make sacrifices to experience and connect with a heavenly father. That they would then be, have a new direct connection to a heavenly father who made the ultimate sacrifice for them. And he wanted them to share that message of hope long after he left the earth. See, the arrival of Jesus on earth was the beginning of something new that we get to experience today. Jesus would teach that the people are the most sacred thing, that you are the most sacred thing. No place, no piece of dirt, no building, but that you are sacred. That the person sitting next to you this morning is more sacred than any of those buildings or those places. That your family is more sacred. Your children are more sacred. The people you get to go to work with are more sacred. That the most important thing are the people. And he wanted to teach us a new way in which that we could experience him in a real way. That we wouldn't have to go through those rituals of animal sacrifice or go to a sacred place only to experience God or go through those checklists before we could experience him. Jesus, during his ministry, modeled this. You may recall some of the miracles that he performed, or you may recall the ways in which Jesus lovingly served those around him. One of my favorite stories that models the love of Jesus in this way and this servant leadership is when Jesus said, disciples, I want to wash your feet. And some of them said, no, 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 Jesus, you can't do that. You're not gonna wash my feet. Jesus said, no, I want to serve you. I want to wash your feet. So the same hands that embraced Lazarus raising from the dead, the same hands that picked up mud and healed a blind man, the same hands that would ultimately make the sacrifice for you and me. He said, I wanna wash your feet with these hands. I'm gonna take this robe off and I want to wash your feet. And so in the book of John, when he was finishing washing their feet, he said this, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another. And I think that speaks so deeply to what Jesus was trying to model, but also communicate in those moments as he was washing each of their feet. I don't want you to just do random acts of kindness here and there and, oh, 
you know, make sure you get that um, checklist done of like, oh, bring cookies to your neighbor. Oh, bring your neighbor a meal. Or hey, um, maybe you should uh, reach out to a coworker when they're sick and make sure they're doing okay. But I want you to love one another as I have loved you, as I have washed your feet. See, the moment that we start thinking we're, you know, got it all together, we're a big shot, or we've made it, or we've arrived, I often like to reflect on this story where Jesus said, no. There's someone else's feet that you still haven't washed. There's someone else that you have yet to serve. There's someone else you've yet to love. And I start looking around and asking God, show me these people that I need to love on, that I can be hope for. And that's what we even wrestle with as ministry leaders and as our strategic team is, how can we better wash other people's feet? How can we better serve the community around us? And that's what you'll hear all through the next month with Be Rich is we want to raise money and give it all away. We wanna be generous and through that generosity, we wanna bring hope. And in the past that's looked like windows in an orphanage or paying off the lunch debt or helping the counselors with different specific family needs here in the Clear Creek Amana School District. And some years that's sending money across seas to ministries to provide food for people in faraway villages. It's washing people's feet. It's loving one another, just as Jesus said, I wanna love you. And for a lot of us and for society, that's, that's hard to wrestle with because that's not the leadership paradigm that we're familiar with. It's, hey, you make it to the top and then other people get to wash your feet. If you get to this level, then you get to have this assistant or this EA or you get to have access to this resource. No, Jesus said, I want to turn this upside down. Leadership looks like serving and loving others in crazy outlandish ways. And sometimes that's hard for us to fathom when we live in a world that it looks very different to to climb up that leadership ladder and to be served instead of serving others. In John, um, in the same scripture, he goes on to say this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's saying to them, if you continue to model this, this is how people are gonna know that you're a disciple of me. This is how you are gonna be known for being a Jesus follower. If that you can carry this on and you can continue to love one another, just as I have come to love you. See, in this, it replaces the law keeping, trying to manage those 630-some laws and the Ten Commandments. It replaces that with the self-sacrificing act of love. And I know that for some of us, this word means a lot of different things. But Jesus said, I want you to really embrace this. I want you to understand what this love looks like. And that's what he wanted to model. See, if we understand what love looks like, we begin to think differently and we see people differently. We don't come from a place of assuming 
things about people or judging people. We come from a place and a posture of curiosity of I wanna sit and I wanna hear your story. I wanna know where this hurt comes from. I wanna know about you. I want you to be known. I don't want you to be known for how well that you've attended church or haven't attended church or how well you followed these rules the church has put out for you or the community of believers or society has put out for you. I wanna get to know you. And I wanna meet that with this curious love, with this outlandish love, this self-sacrificing love. It says, I'm gonna give you of my time, my resources, my energy, and I wanna be your biggest champion. I wanna spur you on through love. And that was really hard for some of Jesus' followers to really grasp. And I think even today, you can recognize experiences in your life or in your faith journey where it's been hard for individuals to grasp this because the old model got brought back into it or old laws got brought back into the religious traditions or they got translated over time into our different context. And so different rules got converted differently or different liturgical aspects got converted differently. And if you, you sit there and you pinpoint those feelings and it's like, what was it missing? I bet oftentimes you'll come back that it was maybe just missing love in it. That it just felt like there was something just transactional. It was just going through the motions. And it wasn't the kind of love that you felt going into that place where they would wash your feet. They would do whatever it takes to say, you know what? I wanna serve you. Not that you had to meet an expectation to get your feet washed. I think sometimes we forget that in love and when we show love, the fruit that can be bared out of that. We forget sometimes that in a world of brokenness and hurt, like what is my one act of love gonna do? What is my, my difference of me loving my neighbor, loving God, loving my enemy? What's the difference it's gonna make in my community? It's easy to get super consumed with everything that's going on and you're like, ah, I just can't make a difference. But we have to remember that God calls us to love. And even if that love is just planting one seed at a time and trusting that that seed will grow, that's might what it be. It might be that meeting someone in a conflict or a situation where there's tension, you know what? You say, you know what? It's all right. We may disagree. And love in this moment says that we're not gonna see eye to eye on this, but I'm gonna love you anyways. That's okay if we don't agree politically or we don't even agree when it comes to theology, but I'm gonna love you anyways. And I'm gonna meet that with love because I'm gonna trust that one act of love can make a difference. And that I don't have to excuse myself because I don't think I'm gonna make this super huge impact. Jesus didn't wash everyone's feet. He started with those closest to him because he was hoping and trusting that when he washed their feet, that they would see that model of him and be able to go and share that love with others and be missionaries and be the start of something new, sharing that same love 
with those who had never experienced that type of love before. See, this old temple model is where I think we get lost sometimes. And then, and in this, it can get really messy. And I've experienced this in my faith journey, and I've gotten hurt by this model. This temple model that says, you know what? You can only come and experience God when you're here and in this set moment. I don't know if what you're saying is really experiencing God throughout the week. I, you're kind of, you're saying some crazy stuff. See, this temple model says, you know, you have to get to a certain level. The only the elite of the elite get to really experience another level of God that no one else can experience. This temple model says, you know what? Only one person can teach or one person can preach and share the message. It doesn't put ownership on each of us to share this message of hope. A lot of times this temple model is built around a few people and that ownership gets put on just those few. In this temple model in the Old Testament, it meant sacrificing. It meant there was sacred texts or sacred scriptures and only certain people had access to those creating a standard in which, again, you had to meet or even be a certain gender to be able to experience. And if you look back at the moments where you say, you know what, ah, I just didn't feel good about this moment. I didn't feel good about this experience with these other believers. I wonder if it was trying to bring in aspects of this old temple model and maybe they tried to meet it with love, but they were holding on to things that were holding them back, which ultimately hold others back or pushed others away. Because on the outside, people are like, I don't want to be a part of this. That's not the message I want to convey. I don't want to be known for all the things that I'm against or all the things that I shouldn't do. I want to servingly love those around me and partner with other people who want to do that too. One of Jesus' disciples uh, who Jesus poured into after Jesus' death on the cross, he went out and he was starting churches and he wanted to reach new communities. See, the apostle Paul was someone who went out to different regions and wanted to share this same message of love and wanted to get the church off, the community of believers off to a great start. Apostle Paul was one of those who was actually an ex-Pharisee and he wrote a lot of the New Testament and he knew Jesus well. And in one of those travels, he went to Galatia and he knew that in this temple model that people would get mistreated, that there would be followers who ended up actually being hypocrites that there would form self-righteous leaders, that there would be texts that would get manipulated and misconstrued. And he wanted to be that beacon of hope. He wanted to bring a message that was what he experienced from Jesus. So he wrote, after he was at Galatia, he wrote uh, a letter to them. And it is the book of Galatians. 
And in Galatians chapter five, I'm just gonna read you a couple pieces of this beautiful letter that he wrote. Galatians chapter five says this, the only thing that counts is faith. Faith expressing itself through love. What would that look like if our faith was expressed through love? If our faith was the foundation and we got to show that to those around us and we got to be known for expressing our faith, not judging others, not telling them what they should or should not be doing or who they should not and not be hanging out with, but that we express that faith through love. Later in the letter in verse 13, it says this, you, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. Humbly in love, so that the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. That entire law of those 630 some laws and those 10 commandments, it can be fulfilled with this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. What would it look like if we started loving other people like ourselves? If we wanted to see them succeed just as much as we wanna see ourselves succeed. If we wanted them to be happy and have joy just as much as we want to be filled with happiness and joy. What would it look like? What would our communities look like if we were known for loving our neighbors as ourselves? So I ask you this question, what does love require of me? And I know that that question seems really, really huge and really, really seems hard to grasp. But if in each of those moments, you're just able to say, you know what? What does love require of me in this moment? Even if you're not a Jesus follower, you're not sure about the teaching of Jesus, what would it look like if just in those small moments this week, in those moments of conflict, in those moments where you felt like, ah, I just, something doesn't feel right in this moment, in this relationship, in this conversation, in this dialogue, you stop and you step back and you say, what does love require of me in this moment? Maybe I need to walk a day in their shoes. Maybe I need to sit down and sit back and hear their story so I know where they're coming from. So I know that this pain and this hurt is from something they experienced. And I wrote it off as something else that they were just, they had a vengeance or they were angry. But I sat down and I said, love requires of me to be generous with my time this week. And I just need to hear their story. When we start asking this question, we pray differently. We don't pray for ourselves or for God to fulfill certain things or acts in a certain way or fill different check boxes in our lives. What we say in these moments, God, what does love require of me to love this person that seems really unlovable right now? For maybe some of us, it's a child that we've really just wrestled with and we wanna try to love them and we're trying to figure out how to have these tough conversations, but maybe in these moments, it's just saying, you know what? I'm just gonna love them and I'm just gonna listen. I'm not gonna keep telling them, all the things they're doing wrong or how they should be applying for that job or going to that school, but I'm just gonna love on them. I'm gonna show up with a cup of coffee 
Just say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Just want you to know that I love you. Maybe for some of us, it's our spouse that's been unlovable or our significant other, and they create an environment where we feel like, man, there's just so much tension. And I know that I have these things that I think we can do or these things that I know maybe we'll try to fix it. But maybe in those moments, I need to step back and say, what does love require of me? I need to say, you know what? How can I help you this week? I know you have a lot on your plate. I know the expectations at work are overwhelming and I just wanna love you. I'm gonna put my personal agenda aside or my personal expectations and I just want to love. What would it look like? If we just start with one interaction this week and we just asked ourselves this question, how can we wash someone's feet and serve in a way that says, I wanna love you. Not tell you all the things that you are or are not doing right in your life, but I just wanna show up with love. How can we do that? And how can we as a community of people do that together? Or we can show up in our community and love on our community in outlandish ways, and we can meet the needs that are right here. And we ask ourselves, how can we love those students that, that come through these doors that don't have hot meals every night? How can we love those students that maybe show up and don't have warm winter clothes through winter? How can we show up and love on people in those moments where they're hurt and broken? I think you'll find that this requires a lot more than fulfilling all of those laws, that this requires a greater self-sacrifice when we start asking this question. What does love require of me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just wanna thank you for being hope, for being hope in our lives, for being a hope that keeps us going each and every day, even in the midst of storms in our lives. You bring a hope and peace that nothing else of this world can fulfill. I ask you to challenge each one of us this week as we go throughout our jobs or our classes, our interactions, that we can be that same hope, that same hope that you are for us, that we can be that for others. That we can step back in those situations and we can say, how can I love this person? What does love require of me of this moment, of this interaction, of this conversation, of my next move? And that you will give us the wisdom to know what love requires us to do in those moments. And you will give us the strength to live that out. Even in those moments where it's easy to put our agenda first or to say, you know what? I just really wanna tell him I told you so. Or you know what, you shouldn't have done that. But that you give us strength to meet people with this servant love. I pray for those here or watching that are still exploring or trying to still figure out 
what faith means for them. And maybe they've had an experience where they, they felt hurt, hurt by the church or the community of believers because they felt like they would never measure up. They would never meet the expectations that were set before them. I pray that you will surround them in these moments and let them know that there are people that want to love on them, that you want to show them this outlandish love, that they don't have to meet those certain requirements or they have to arrive or get to a certain um, elite status that they can experience your love today in this moment when they just say, yeah, I want you to be the Lord of my life. That you can put other people around them to show them that same love and pour into them hope and help them guide, be guided in those moments where it's easy to pull back to their old ways or the old thinking of not measuring up or having to complete certain tasks, that those people will love on them no matter what. I pray this week that we can each be challenged, at least in one interaction, to just ask this question. What does love require of me? Thank you for doing what it took in those moments where you had to suffer, when you knew that love required you to make that sacrifice, a sacrifice that none of us deserve. Thank you for that amazing love that you showed us. In your name we pray, amen.